Okay, well, the, the name of our series this year is Grace in Practice. And I kind of meditated on that for a second and I thought, huh, so what we're supposed to do maybe is practice grace. Uh, and so that's what I would like my talk to be about today, is practicing grace. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about spiritual disciplines. However, um, it worked a second ago. There we go, now. Okay, so it's counterintuitive. Um, grace in spiritual disciplines, and I crossed out disciplines and put in practices. Because disciplines, often we associate disciplines with willpower. Gritting our teeth, I'm gonna do this, I can do it. And practices is something where we're maybe saying, you know, I'm gonna practice this. Might not be able to do it perfect, but with God's grace, I'm gonna try. And so let's put our emphasis there on practices um, I think of disciplines having more to do with the will, and I think of practices as having more to do with our relationship with God. So, a couple of months ago, we had the chaplain from Wheaton College come and speak, and he was fantastic. And he talked about this man, Dutch theologian, Kolobrugi, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm, I'm murdering the name. Vern, can you help me? Kohlberger, okay. Um, I need a Dutch person here to help me, somebody that speaks Dutch, okay? Um, anyway, so I found that talk really challenging um, because kind of halfway through the talk, he said, um, you know, he didn't really believe in spiritual disciplines. He was very wary of any kind of um, spiritual program or any disciplines. And um, he gave a quote on his handout. This was the quote. And I thought when I read this, this is when spiritual disciplines have gone south. This is what happens when you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Um, so people that live under the illusion that they can contribute their kernels of sand to climb the mountain of their holiness. Okay, you see kind of some of the emphasis there on it's not God's holiness, it's our own holiness. Uh, but from one day to the next, the storm of sin blows all the sand of kernels away. And there you are in the corner crying, and you got to start all over again and try even harder. Our self-righteousness is deep, deeply rooted, and for as long as we live, the old monk refuses to die. He doesn't know how to. And I think that is actually a wonderful quote because it kind of really, in my mind, describes when spiritual disciplines are about earning God's love rather than receiving God's love. And whenever we get into this idea that we're gonna earn God's love by doing these things, then we're like kind of really getting on maybe a little uneven ground. And so what I'd like to do is maybe go to the Bible and you know, talk about this. Oops, sorry, wrong way. Got it, okay. Our spiritual formation practices biblical in his grace, something you practice, okay? So those are the two things we're gonna be talking about today because there really are a lot of people out there that'll say, I don't need spiritual disciplines. I mean, God loves me, he accepts me the way I am. All I need to do is just walk in that grace and I am gonna be fine. And you know, maybe sometimes I'll open the Bible and 
I don't really need the church because, you know, I'm saved, right? Um, I've got my spirituality, you know, so I'm doing pretty well. And so I want to look at about, see if perhaps the Apostle Paul might have had something to say about this. Uh, so we're going to be looking at Paul, and we're even going to be looking at Peter. So we're going to start out with what is grace, kind of a little review. Um, and Paul was the preacher of grace. Um, when he went to his churches and he wrote letters to these churches, he was saying, seeing over and over again this false gospel. And actually, you know, in today's jargon, you could call it a gospel of self-help. You could call it a gospel that was, you know, it was, it was focused on outward practices. It wasn't focused on changing the inward heart. And its focus on outward practices was something, you know, we could do to help ourselves become more spiritual. And so Paul, throughout his whole um, mission, that was what he was trying to combat. Was, it was a couple of things he was trying to combat, but one of the major ones was this whole idea that there was any way we could earn God's favor. Whoops, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so Ephesians. Um, this is, I think, as good as a definition of grace as we can come up with in the Bible. Um, so what does this verse, anyone want to say what this verse tells us about grace? And it's abundant. Abundant, thank you. It's costly. Pardon? It's costly. It's costly. <coughs> yeah, it's costly by whom? Jesus. Jesus, right. What does it include? It includes forgiveness, right? Um, it's lavish. And it's wise. Um, I think one of the things that Kohleberger talked about, and also um, the person that wrote this book, Grace and Practice, which again, Paul Zoll talks about how the law just didn't work. We can't do it. We needed something else. We needed another way to become like Jesus, and that way was the way of love. So here we are in the Galatians. This was the church, um, the first letter of Paul's um, after the big ones, Romans and Corinthians. Um, he had a church that was really there were people in there, they were called Judaizers. They were really trying to get the Gentiles to follow the um, Jewish laws. Felt like if you're going to be saved, if you're going to be part of our group, you have to be circumcised. And Paul was in Galatians, that was one of the things he was talking about. But he was also talking about freedom and what freedom means. And so freedom is kind of a big word. A lot of us think freedom means in the world, people say, well, that means I have the right to do whatever I want to do as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else. Um, and I think Paul was talking about a little bit different freedom. So he's saying, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. It's not, you can't do a little bit of it, you got to do all of it. If that's what you're going to place yourself under, then it is an end game. You've got to be all in. If, that's what you, if you're going to base this on yourself and your own holiness, then you've got to be all in. 
And a lot of us, we don't want to be all in, and yet we still have that part of us, that monk, that doesn't want to die, that says, there's got to be something I can do so, um, to earn God's love. So, yep, no, he's saying, you are trying to be justified by law, and you have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. So um, his words to his um, protege, Timothy, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. And Paul knew that he was completely unworthy. There couldn't have been a more unworthy person. You know, he sat at the feet, of, gathered up the cloaks when Stephen was stoned. He did everything he could to stop the spread of the gospel, and yet he was shown mercy. And so he says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. So what does this tell us about grace? What goes with grace? Redemption, yeah. What can we associate grace with? Blasphemy and murder? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> it, right, exactly. No, I mean, faith and love, absolutely. And I, what I really want to talk about is love, because that's what grace is, is it is love. Um, yeah, um, so let's go on to a couple more here. God, who has saved us and called us out to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of own purpose and grace. It's God's purposes, not our own. And it has been given to us before the beginning of time and revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus is the living example of grace. And Jesus lived a life of grace with his Father. Uh, we have those accounts of how he went up to the mountain to pray. Jesus lived his life, his life, the grace that he had was because of the relationship that he had with his Father and with the Spirit. That relationship of the Trinity Oh, that communion of the Trinity that's existed before time, but became manifested when Jesus became incarnate. And Jesus was a man like us, was a human being like all of us. And what made him different, what made him able to live the perfect life, was he had within him that relationship. And he has given us that relationship because he dwells in us. And now we have that same relationship with the Father because he dwells in us. The grace of God that has given us that Holy Spirit. And again, oops, I'm sorry. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. I think I said that one already. So Paul's all. Grace is love coming at you that has nothing to do with your merit. So 
That's what all those scriptures basically taught us, is that grace is um, unmerited love and nothing else. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's about our relationship with God. So practicing grace is practicing love. And that's not always easy. Like what is like some of the most difficult part of living in that relationship of love with Christ? What is difficult about that? Do you have, yeah. Not everybody's loving back. Yes, absolutely. Not you, if you've had a life where you've experienced, um, you haven't even experienced the love of your own parents. It's, it's very hard to imagine that there's a God there that loves you. Um, anybody else? Yeah. I think sometimes you see how different you are from that love as you receive it. Yeah. You feel unworthy and you're just like, I'm not a loving person. How could God love me? But I think for most of us, um, our difficulties in sitting down to pray and reading the Bible, I don't think a lot of, for a lot of us, it has anything to do with the fact that we don't want to do that. I think it has to do with the fact that we don't believe that God loves us. And we are afraid. And yes? For me, it's like that, that tough love. You know, that God wants us to grow, but we don't always see that. We just see the tough part. Right. We do. We do. And we, you know, we listen in our minds to a lot of lies um, about ourselves and lies about God, too. And it makes it just very difficult for us. I think there's huge blocks in our becoming people that are transformed because we can't accept that love. And yet, that is um, what the New Testament teaches us, is to walk in that love. If there's any message, the overall writing message in Paul's letters is to learn how to walk in grace, to learn how to walk in God's love. And part of our practice, I think, in many ways, is working at trying to remove those barriers that prevent us from receiving that love. It's not really anything to do with earning brownie points. It has to do with relationship and restoring that relationship. And you know, for many years, I, I really struggled spiritually for just forever. And um, I'm probably going to cry talking about this. But, you know, I knew that, that there was something blocking me in my relationship with God. And I just, I didn't know what it was because intellectually, I understood. And I was at a retreat and I was, we were talking about, and the retreat was about prayer and about our relationship with God and remove just the things I'm talking about. And um, I went for a walk. This was, any of you been up at um, the place that we go on our retreats here, um, up St. Mary's of the Lake. They have this beautiful walk around the lake, but there's this woods, and I was in the woods, and I came to this circle, and there was a fire, like a bonfire and a circle of stones. And I'm like, Lord, you made a place for me to meet you. 
because why else is this fire here? <laughs> you know, I mean, of course, maybe, you know, I, that wasn't, but that's how I took it. I took it like this was my invitation to sit down, and my husband will tell you I love fires. Um, that's like one of the things I really love. I love water. It was right by the water, so I sat down, and the Lord said to me something so profound. I had this sense in my my brain of a voice that said to me, um, I am not going to take anything away from you. I don't need your love. And I know that for some people that would seem like a weird message, but that was a huge message for me because I had an earthly father who my parents were divorced when I was very young and I was separated from my mother because she had lots of problems. And my father was raising me, but he was very abusive. But one of the things he would do is, after he was done like yelling and screaming at me or whatever kind of abuse, he would sit me down and he would say, but you are daddy's girl, right? You love me, right? And he'd sit me on his knee. And I was so scared that I knew I couldn't say no. So I would say, yes, I'm daddy's girl. I love you. But I knew that that love for him was at a cost. I knew that I had to be not really who I was for that man to love me. I had to be someone different. And that is for years how I approached my relationship with God. Internally, I thought, I have to be somebody different. I can't be who I am. So when I became a Christian, when I was 21 years old, I had long red hair. I was the monk, okay? Cut it all off, short pixie, just everything. I was a theater major, I'm not gonna go into theater, I am a Christian now, I'm going to do something different that is godly. I know, I'll become a wife and a mother because that's what I'm supposed to do, which was great. I loved becoming a wife and a mother, but it was all for the wrong reasons. It was like, I felt like I needed to conform myself to this image of what I thought a nice Christian girl did. And I made a lot of mistakes, but the one mistake I did not make was marrying my husband. <laughs> and that's what I say is when God brings grace out of our own mistakes because he was the person that taught me that I was lovable. And so it actually took 30 years of being loved by him before I knew I really could be loved by God. So, I'm getting really off the subject quite a bit, but... Okay, all right, so... Okay, so I've already talked about this, how Paul had this burden that people would not walk away from grace. He had this burden that he wanted people to know that they needed to be strengthened by grace. So, he says, forever I heard about your faith in Lord Jesus, I have not stopped asking giving thanks for you, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power to us who believe. So, wherever you are today in your relationship with God, know that he has the power to convince you that you are his child. And he has the power to change you and to know that 
you can become a different person that you are. Because he says, see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up. And even Peter, who, you know, Peter was kind of Paul's antagonist at the Council of Jerusalem. Peter finally got the message too um, because he says, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. So that's what spiritual practices need to be set on, is setting our eyes on hope and growing in grace and knowledge of our Lord Savior. To him be glory both now and forever. So how do we grow in grace? Well, Paul has given us a hint when he talked about the Holy Spirit. Um, so again, Colossians, he says that you may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So it's a matter of walking in the spirit and bearing fruit in good works and increasing in the knowledge of God. So I don't think it is unbiblical to say that God's plan for us is to grow in grace, that God's plan for us is to become more conformed to the image of God. It's God's plan for us to bear even more fruit in our lives than we are right now. And that there is, in a sense, something we can do about that, not earning God's love, but there is something we can do about growing in grace. So it's continuing in your faith. Okay, this, a lot of this is repetitive, and I, I have talked a lot. But I want to get onto this, which is that it is based on this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So Paul is toiling that people would understand that within us we have Christ, that this mystery, it's... It's a mystery. Spiritual transformation is a mystery because it does have to do with us as humans making the right choices. But ultimately, it's about Christ being in us. And Paul understands this happens. You know, he says, I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you because you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the simple nature. Rather, serve one another in love. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the, the um, sinful nature. So Paul longs to see Christ visibly living in the Galatians. He longs to see Christ manifested in their lives. He doesn't see them at their point that they are in with all their quarreling and all their um, efforts to make people obey religious laws. He doesn't see that happening, but he has a hope that it can happen. And it happens from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed 
into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it's not unbiblical to have this idea that perhaps we can become transformed people. Um, you know, we kind of joke around about it a little bit. We have, Rich and I have been attending these um, retreats, Transformation Community, and we'll say before the retreat, we're going to go get transformed this weekend, you know. <laughs> but um, it is kind of a joke. But it, it's really true. We can. That is the hope that is held out to us, that we can become transformed people. So let's take a look now at how that can happen through our practices. And now when I talk about practices, I'm just so like, Oh my gosh, it's so hard for me. I prayed this morning. I just don't want to put a burden on anybody, okay? Because again, it's you, when you think of practices, think of them as practices of grace. Mm -hmm. Don't think of them, well, I'm going to, like you've got a handout with the traditional prayer, Lectio Divina, uh, the examined prayer. These are the traditional practices that we talk about. But I want you to expand your idea of what a practice could be. A practice can be getting up in the morning getting that first cup of coffee and sipping that and going, wow, that coffee tastes so good. Thank you, God. That's a practice of grace right there. You haven't even opened your Bible yet, but you're practicing grace. Um, whatever you are doing, if it's not helping you grow in grace, stop doing it. I had to stop doing some things for a while. It was really hard for me. Um, I really thought, I can't stop doing daily morning prayer, but for a while I had to stop doing it and go for a walk instead with my dog and just meditate on how God loved me because I was doing things kind of just to check off lists. And that's never what it's supposed to be about. But, you know, sometimes the practices do start out with a certain degree of self-determination. They do start out with, okay, I'm not going to do this because I'm going to do this instead. You know, I'm not going to read Facebook when I get up in the morning, even though I'm dying to see if somebody liked my last, you know, um, entry. No, I'm going to turn off my phone. I'm going to open the Bible instead. I found something that's really wonderful. It's called Pray As You Go. Do any of you guys know about Pray As You Go? I love Pray As You Go. Because Pray As You Go, because a lot of times when I get up in the morning, I just don't feel like doing anything. And that is very easy to just turn that on and listen. And all of a sudden, you know, it's like, I call it priming the pump kind of just primes the pump. It's like, yeah, God, you really do matter. I really do love you, you know? So anyway, find what works. But let's talk about practices. Okay, I go down, not up, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, when we think of receiving grace, we think of transformation. Practices as offerings, okay. So... Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So it is about surrender. It's not about willpower. Okay, Richard Foster. Spiritual disciplines are the main way we offer our bodies up as living sacrifice. We are doing what we can with our bodies, our minds, our hearts, God then takes this simple offering of ourselves and does with it what we cannot do. He produces within us deeply ingrained habits of love and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So it isn't anything, we're not doing the transforming, God is doing the transforming. 
all we are doing is offering ourselves. Just offering ourselves. It doesn't have to be anything more than that. It's rest, it's not willpower. Um, I love this one. I read this book by David Benner called um, The Will of God. Uh, David Benner is a, just a fantastic spiritual writer. Have any of you read any of his books? Yeah, I mean, he's, all of them are really, really good. I think he used to teach at Wheaton College a long time ago, but, but I love this. We cannot will to love. We cannot will forgiveness. But we can be open. Transformation happens when we desire something, not when we accomplish goals. So again, kind of another story. When I first went to the transforming community, the first retreat, and I had just finished my PhD in theology, and I just knew I needed soul care. It was just, I was so, I just was at the point, I didn't even want to think about God anymore. It was so hard. Um, after thinking about God, you know, for 12, 14 hours a day in an analytical kind of way, it was very hard. So. You know, kind of had to take a little bit of a sabbatical. I didn't try to attempt to teach for a year or anything. And when I got there, I was really surprised because I was expecting this like group of 30 people. And they said it was this group of like 90 people. And I was like, oh no, not another class. I do not need another class. And so then Ruth Barton got up and started talking. And you know, she's gonna start talking about spiritual disciplines. And I'm like, I honestly almost walked out because I thought I do not need more information. I thought this was gonna be like some sort of retreat or getting to know people or something. I didn't know it was going to be a bunch of lectures. And then she started talking, but then all of a sudden she got really interesting because she started talking about desire, not I need to do this, I need to do that. But she started talking about what are your desires. And that just really struck me because if there's anything that we get out of any of this is the whole practice idea of grace is that we desire it. That that's the biggest thing we desire in our life is God's grace. So we ask that God's desires become our desires and it's a matter of surrender, not will. Um, so When we pray the Lord's Prayer every day, thy will be done on earth as it is heaven, we're praying that we are basically surrendering our wills to God. And David Brenner talks about, Benner talks about how that prayer, which I never really thought about the Lord's Prayer in this way, but how the Lord's Prayer is a prayer of surrender. And then he had this great chart in his book. Um, I don't know if you can see this, but it's the kingdom of self versus the kingdom of God. And I love this because this side, the kingdom of God, that's how we approach spiritual practices. Yeah. We practice them as gift, as consent, open hearts and hands, releasing, not effort, not achievement. So um, all of our spiritual disciplines should be external practices that reinforce our internal desires. So, like for instance, when Richard brings me a cup of coffee in the morning, 
I don't think he is doing that because maybe he started out about 10, 15 years ago because he realized it wasn't a good idea to talk to me until I'd had a, few, a cup of coffee. <laughs> but now he started, he, we brought the coffee cup up and put it in the bathroom by our bedroom and he started bringing me this cup of coffee. And I don't think he does it because he is thinking, I am going to be a very good husband, and I know that Mary will love me if I bring her this coffee. I think he does it. Why do you do it, Rich? <laughs> it's a, just a part of your desire to want to be with me. I mean, that's basically. It's a part of my desire to really want to be with you. <laughs> Okay. Okay, the only love that is powerful enough to make us want to turn over the keys of the kingdom of self is that love of God, that deep personal knowing of God. Okay, 1035, we're getting there. So, the other thing about uh, spiritual practices that I, I kind of want to talk about a little bit is that it is not about making ourselves more spiritual. It's not about only personal transformation. It is about the transformation of the community. And um, if you read Paul, you realize that all of his teachings, you know, in his teachings, he, he isn't, somebody asked me the other day, was Paul, when he said you, um, was that singular or plural? And I said, oh, it was plural. You know, he was talking to the church. He wasn't talking to individuals, okay? So his teachings on spiritual formation were always given in the context of community. So we can't, this is Robert Mulholland who says, we can't be conformed to the image of Christ outside corporate spirituality, then a coal continue to burn outside of a fire. So that's kind of a, a great image there. And that's why at All Souls, we don't, call our, we don't call it spiritual formation, the stuff that we do, we call it community formation. Um, we call it uh, souls together. That's basically what our spiritual formation program is called, is souls together. So it's not about just personal. So again, um, unless our personal disciplines are shaped by our love of others, they feed on narcissism, and that is a really, I think, a very wise statement. So he talks about in his book about individuals that have come to him for counseling, because he is a a counselor psychologist, um, that they have lived perfect Christian lives. You, know, you describe this one man, he gets up every morning, he reads the Bible all the way through every year, he does his prayers, he goes to work, he, but his life is simply controlled. And there is nothing about it that's about other people. It's just about him controlling himself. Um, so that's not what we want to happen, right? So, um, Philippians. So I think Paul is saying, if you have any encouragement from being united in love, if any comfort from his love, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. So that's why in our home groups, we really try to put an emphasis on walking our journeys together and sharing our journeys in Christ, sharing our journeys of transformation, because we know that we need each other's help to do that. And I think even the idea that when we say to each other, um, 
the Lord be with you, and we say back, and with your spirit, we're acknowledging that spirit of Christ within each of us to the other person. That we can come to see each other that way. If we can come to see each other as the faces of Christ in our lives and, and set aside the things that might, you know, we get on each other's nerves sometimes. So it's, it's good. So finally, um, I'm going to come up with a, a definition uh, for spiritual formation is the process by which Christ is formed in us for the glory of God, for the abundance of our lives, and for the sake of others. One of my favorite spiritual writers. So, when we talk about spiritual practices, um, we need to talk about embracing Christ within us, embracing that mystery, creating time and space, making ourselves available for God to do the work only he can, that's offering, uh, but always keeping in mind that it's not a self-help project or to earn brownie points, and it's not a matter of willpower, but it is a matter of willingness to receive. And inherent in this idea is that we are practicing and we will fail. We, will, we might set out uh, to, um, to develop our prayer life more deeply and more intimately and we may discover that there's some blocks and we're having difficulty with that and that's not that's the time to turn to Christ who says Paul says this is what Christ said to him and it's in red in my Bible so I think that's interesting because you know in the gospel we have the red letters this is in the um, Corinthians they put this in red because evidently this was a word he received directly from Christ my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. Love this definition of humility. We must learn to feel in each action both our weakness and the help of God. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some practices. We're going to practice. Do we have like 10 minutes still? We do. Okay, good. Okay, because we're going we're gonna to do a practice. Okay? So real quick, Lectio Divina, that's what we're going to do right now. And we're going to talk about how we connect, can connect that with contemplative prayer. And we're also going to talk about the prayer of examine. So um, Lectio, just really briefly, scriptures are a way to meet God not to be an obligation. I wish I had actually put that at the top of this sheet. If you have a pen and you want to write it out, do. A way to meet God, not to meet an obligation. Prayer is not the fruit of my willfulness, but the response of my heart to love. So, like, it's just prayer... Like the thing that I have really learned about prayer is just resting. A lot of times it's just turning on some spiritual music I really love and just sitting there and listening to the music and just resting. And maybe eventually I'll get to intercessions. But first, most importantly, I want to get into connect with the person I'm praying to. I'm not just praying to this wall. I'm praying to someone. So, all right, 
Um, we're going to, in fact, I think I can just turn this off now. Except maybe I'll just go back up to. There we go. Can play? Did I? Let me just turn it off. Oh, you want it? Oh, I'll take it off. Yeah, we can just turn it off. We'll kill it. No problem. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to do this Lectio Divina. For, it's going to be maybe a little shorter than it normally would be. So I think I'm just going to read it twice rather than three times. But I would like all of you, and Lectio Divina is something that, um, you know, there are apps like the ESV Bible Online. If you go to that, there's like, you can do the listen to it, and it's got that guy that's really a good reader of scripture. Um, and so often, that's what I do in the morning. I don't actually read the Bible. I actually just find what I want, and I put that on, and I listen to it. Close my eyes and listen to it, and listen to it again, and listen to it again. And that I feel like, that's just easier for me to receive. So that's a suggestion. Um, so I listen for one word that God can give me throughout the day. And a lot of times I will write that down on my phone or on a card. And that word is actually the word of scripture that sustains me through the day. Um, so it's kind of like pray as you go is wonderful too. That's a great way also. But use this word that you might receive in the morning as a way to attend to God's presence throughout the day. Um, so I'm going to see if you listen and maybe today you'll receive a word um, that you will want to take with you the rest of today. So we're going to, don't look at your papers. Um, this is just, the papers are just for you later, like if you want to try this again. So please don't look at them. We're just going to, I'm going to do a Lectio Divina with you so we can end with this. What would I have till 5 to? Yeah, we've got about seven minutes. Okay, good. Okay. Great, because I do want to talk a little bit about prayer of exam when we're done sure. with this. So, okay. Um, okay, so let's close our eyes and enter into a time of silence. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. For you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness.
Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. So as you've listened to this, if there was a word or a phrase that especially um, struck you, perhaps say that phrase to yourself um, or say that phrase as a prayer to God in this few moments of silence. going to read it a second time. And as I read it this second time, listen again for a word that God may have for you. It may be a different word or it may be the same word. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever for great is your love towards me. For you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. So as you meditate on this word, ask yourself, how does this touch your life? How is this word one that will allow you to find yourself in God's love? So I'm going to read it one more time. And this time as you're listening, think about a way in which you could respond to God with this word that you have received from him. Hear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Guard my life, for I am devoted to you. You are my God, save your servant who trusts in you. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I call to you all day long. Bring joy to your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. 
Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. For great is your love towards me. For you, O Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Turn to me and have mercy on me. Grant your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. And now let us simply rest in that word that we have received. Rest as one that is like a weaned child who has received what it needs from its mother and now can rest with God in peace and quiet. Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, examine prayer. I'm not going to get to it, I guess. I got the nod. But the one thing about this particular way of doing it, a lot of people talk about the examine prayer, but this is an Ignatian way of doing it, and it's really focused on, in the examine prayer, the first step is to receive God's love. And maybe you won't even get past that. So, and also, if you want to read a book about it, this is a great book, The Examined Prayer by Timothy Gallagher. Thank you.